Mets, meet the Mets, step right up and greet the Mets. Bring your kiddies, bring your wife, guaranteed to have the time of your life, because the Mets are really sucking the ball, knocking those home runs over the wall. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips, and as you heard by the intro, it's going to be another Met-heavy episode this week. I'm actually doing two sports episodes this week, but first we're taking it on the Met stuff. I'm going to be chatting with Ian Sachs, one of the play-by-play voices of the Binghamton Rubble Ponies, the Mets AA affiliate. We're going to catch up on some of the Mets' top prospects down there. I actually went up to Binghamton last week, got to check out a game at Nysex Stadium. It was a lot of fun. Got a chance to link up with Ian there. Ian's going to call away in just a bit to break down some of the fun prospects the Mets have down at Double A. Be sure you're locked into the end of the show for this two-minute drill where I am going to weigh in on the latest melodrama surrounding Antonio Brown's helmet. It was a big topic on last night's episode of Hard Knocks. I'm recording this on Wednesday, the day after it aired. I have some thoughts on that, on what Mike Mayock had to say and what his agent Drew Rosenhaus had to say. And the ridiculousness of the fact we're debating over a helmet here. That's coming up. But we'll get all started with this week's opening tip. Where we're going to continue following the Met playoff push right after this. Pete Alonso leads off. He's at 39 home runs right now. Hammers this ball to left. And that's going to be number 40. Way back and long gone. Pete Alonso becomes just the fourth Met ever to have a 40 home run season. Congratulations to Pete as that breaks the National League rookie record for home runs. Number 40. What a season. All right, we are back. This is opening tip. The calls you just heard courtesy of WCBS's Wayne Randazzo and SNY's Keith Hernandez. Pete Alonzo setting the National League rookie record with his 40th home run on Sunday in the Mets' win over the Kansas City Royals. The Mets, since we last spoke, Went three on three on their road trip to Atlanta, Kansas City. Picked up a huge win last night over the Cleveland Indians. 9 2. Two run homers from JD Davis, Michael Conforto. Big four run inning against the big time Indian bullpen, which is impressive, by the way. That Indian bullpen is no joke, and the Mets just beat them up last night a lot. And I'm actually in the studio tonight. I'm on my way to City Field to see the, the Mets play the Indians tonight with. Marcus Stroman, and Andrew Plutko on the mound for Cleveland. So, be a fun atmosphere at City. The funny thing is, if you listened to hashtag Mets Twitter last week, you believe this team was a disaster and they went 1-5 on the trip and the year was over. I'll admit, a lot of things did go wrong on this trip. Jeff McNeil gets hurt. Tuesday night, sprinting out a single, a try and beat out an infield hit in the ninth inning, grabs his hamstring on the injury list. Wednesday, Stephen Matz cruising through six innings, 79 pitches, 4-2 lead. Mickey Cowboy says, you know what? I'm good with Matz here. Seventh inning, Mets build a 2-1 lead. Stephen Matz is cruising. He's got 79 pitches under his belt. Mickey Cowboy says, you know what? Enough's enough. I'm going to Seth Lugo for two. I'm going to win this game. Lugo blows the lead. Mets lose that game. We had the no-show from the offense in Kansas City on Friday, where I admit... They put up a ton of runs day before in Atlanta, and they just were exhausted. They got in late and no life there. J.D. Davis gets hurt in the weekend series. 
misses the last two games with a calf injury. Does get back in the lineup last night, which helps. Zach Wheeler was bad in both his starts. He was not good in either of them, and that's not good. Marcus Stroman, okay, hasn't had a great outing yet. Maybe tonight that changes, but despite all that, they still went 3-3. Three and three. They are still in prime position to make a playoff run. And the schedule sets up fantastically for them. They have 25 of their final 37 games at home at City Field. And counting tonight. That is massive for this team. Right now they are 35 and 21 at City Field this year. They're only 30 and 39 on the road, but they are 35 and 21 at home. Obviously, having all those home games is massive. And even without some of these big guys, they are getting contributions from everywhere. JD Davis comes back last night, hits a homer, and Think about how good that guy has been all year long. For the first time, I can say probably since the sabermetric and Klein front office took over in Houston, the Astros lost a trade here giving up J.D. Davis. This dude has been nothing but clutch for the Mets. He was boxed out of playing time in Houston. They figured, you know, we'll dub him. We'll get some pieces for our farm system. And at the time, I was ripping the Mets saying, you know what? You're overpaid for this guy. But you know what? You're getting a guy who's hitting over 300 at 15 homers. He's driven about 45 runs, and he's playing out of position right now. He's playing in left. You get that kind of guy, that kind of versatility for your lineup, that's huge. And that's a big trade win for the Mets right there. Jeff McNeil has been progressing well from his rehab. He should be back over the weekend. If not, maybe by, by Tuesday for the big series with the Cubs. They, Brandon Nemo is out on rehab assignment right now. He's up at AAA Syracuse. Maybe he's back this weekend. And believe it or not, Jed Lowry took the field down in minor leagues. He got on a baseball field for St. Lucie last night. He actually played in a rehab game and got some hits. And we have not seen Jed Lowry all season. With all the injuries they have right now, how huge would it be to have Jed Lowry back in the lineup in September? Down the stretch run when they need as much help as they can get to get in the playoffs. Another thing working in the Mets' favor. The race around them has been terrible. The wild card containers in the National League have been so mediocre and so pathetic that it has given the Mets a chance to climb themselves back into the race when they were 10 under 500 at the All-Star break. Right now, they are in the midst of a very important stretch of baseball games. They have 24 games in a row against contenders. They have the rest of this Indian series. The rest is homestand. They have the Braves coming over the weekend. The Braves have not been good for the Mets. The Mets have struggled against them all year long. Then you have the Cubs. I think it's the biggest series of the season right now, that Cubs series. Because right now, they are the team directly ahead of the Mets in the wild card race. And the Cubs are a bad road team. Let me tell you right now, the Cubs have been has, have been dominant Rickley Field. They're kind of like the Mets in this way, in that the Cubs have just been so good at home, but so bad on the road. I'll pull, Let me get the splits up here right now, just to demonstrate how crazy different it is with the Cubs. The Cubs at home are 42-19. and 19. That is ridiculous. They are 42-19 and 19 at Wrigley Field. On the road, 25-39. and 39. Those games are at City Field next week. Edge Mets. And right now, I will tell you, 
assuming the pitching matchups don't change here, this is what's going on at City Field next week with the Cubbies. And these are Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday games all at City Field. Tuesday, Marcus Stroman, you Darvish. Wednesday, Noah Syndergaard, Kyle Hendricks. Thursday, Jacob DeGrom, John Lester. Big time for the Mets to have their big three pitchers lined up for that series. After they finish the homestand, six-game trip to the other NL East wildcard contenders, the Phillies for three, the Nationals for three starting on Labor Day. That's the last time they see the Nationals, by the way, after that. Then they come home again. Ten-game homestand. Phillies for three. Last time they see the Phillies this year. The Diamondbacks for four. And the Diamondbacks have been floating up and down between contention and missing the playoffs, but they're still a threat because they can hit. And then the Dodgers for three. The L.A. Dodgers, the best team in the National League. That team's coming to City Field for three games. That's a huge stretch of baseball for the Mets, who need to come out of it in a position to make the playoffs. Just win series. That is what the goal should be here. I think at this point, you have to win. Let's let's count this out here. Getting a win last night is big because that gives them a little bit of cushioning as they red tot indie team that had been the best in baseball to this point. Let's give them one out. Let's give them one of the next two here. I'm not, they're not, I don't think they're sweeping Cleveland. Cleveland has been too hot. Let's say they get one out of two here. If you can win the next couple of series here, two out of three against Atlanta, two out of three against the Cubs, you leave the homestand 70 and 63 if you do that. Four and two on the trip, 74 and 65. And then you let's, let's say, I'm going to argue they lose the Dodgers series. The Dodgers are better than them. You go six and four on the homestand. You're over 80 wins, and you're in prime position to make a playoff run the last two weeks when you have the road trip to Colorado and Cincinnati, which is not very good. The Marlins were four, who the Marlins are going to be getting ready for golfing at that point. And the Braves probably have the division wrapped up at that point. Might be resting stars of the playoffs. Get to 80 by the time that stretch hits, and I think you're going to the playoffs. You need to be over 80 wins by the time that stretch ends. Is that going to be easy? No, it's not. You're playing a bunch of good teams, but you know what? You're going to have to beat good teams to get to the playoffs. That's what it's going to take for the Mets, and I think they're capable of it. They've been playing very well of late, and not be surprised if they do what needs to be done here. We'll keep an eye on the Mets as the weeks progress, but up next, we're going to talk to Ian Sachs of the Binghamton Rumble Ponies about some of the Mets' top prospects right after this. Senators 0-5-1, and... The, that one's belted in toward left field. Back at the wall is Barnes, and that's a home run for Mike Baez. So after the Senators add to their lead in the top of the fifth inning, Mike Baez gets the ponies on the board with his third home run of the season. All right, we are back on the Just and the Suffering podcast. That call you just heard, courtesy of the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, Ian Sachs. Mike Baez, it's a hitting a home run for the Rumble Ponies against the Harrisburg Senators. Joining right now is the man whose voice you just heard making that call, Ian Sachs. Ian, welcome. How are you? Mike, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Obviously, I talk about Mets on the top of the show. You're working for a Mets affiliate. What What's your feeling like about this current run this team is on? It's just been incredible to see the turnaround that this team has had when you consider that there were rumors about Trading away the franchise uh, 
best best players, especially Noah Syndergaard and and several others, and then they bring in Marcus Stroman, and that lights a fire under this team. And now they're right in the thick of the playoff hunt, which makes for a very interesting final six weeks of the season. If you think about it, they're chasing the wild card, and heck, they could even be looking at possibly a division crown. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun being a Mets fan. I, I talked about the Mets at the top of the show, but look at the reason you're here, which is the Mets double-A affiliate, the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. For those who are not aware, can you tell everybody what you do for uh, Binghamton? Yeah, I am uh, the media relations and broadcasting assistant for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. So, one, I announce the games. So, as you just heard with my call there, uh, my boss and I, Jacob Wilkins, who does a great job, we announce uh, every game. And we split time with play-by-play, and then when the other one has the play-by-play duties, either I or Jacob will serve as the color commentator. And then outside of the games, we put together the game notes for the, other, for the opposing broadcasters and as well as for us and the local media. And then we also write the game recaps that go up on the website and get sent out to the local media after the game, and we take care of all media requests, interview requests from the local media or even uh, students who are doing creative work about and research surrounding baseball. Uh, we've handled a few of those requests as well and um, help to promote the team as much as possible. We help to post on social media about them. We post in-game uh, Twitter updates and then um, really just handle all, all aspects of promoting the Rumble Ponies. We also handle and post some videos where we do interviews ourselves with the players or the coaches uh, or front office people. So it, it's really all about getting the name and the brand out there about the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. Absolutely, and as somebody, I mean, I, you and I both know, like, I've interned for the Rockland Bowlers, you have in the past as well, it's like, for these small, minor league, independent affiliates, you don't have these gigantic staffs, so everybody does a little of everything to help make the operation go around, and it's, it just, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. It's all hands on deck for everything, um, it, there have been days when there's rain coming, and, and we're out there pulling tarp with the grounds crew, even myself, Jacob, all the directors in the office, even the general manager and, and the team owner are out there. So it, that's really what minor league sports is all about and, and what makes it such a great atmosphere that you really get to bond with every single person who you work with in the organization because it's such a small, close-knit team, and that's what makes it so great. Yeah, it is great. And I was up there recently. I went to a game up at NYSEG Stadium. I thought it would be a lot of fun. For those who have not been there, can you give everybody a little heads up about what NYSEG is like? It's a great atmosphere. The Eastern League has a ton of great ballparks and great organizations, and, and it's good talent. You get to see, the, really do get to see the future stars of the major leagues. And that, that's not just a saying. You get to see the top one, two, three prospects in all the different organizations as they're making their way, as they're going through the growing pains of playing professional baseball, and then when they shine on the big stage, you get to say, you know what? I saw them way back when they were in double A. And NYSEG, um, the the stadium is about 25 years old. 
And the team was originally called the Binghamton Mets. And then uh, a couple years ago, I think that in 2017, the team changed its name to the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. And the origin of the name is that Binghamton is the carousel center of the country. And I think carousels might have even originated there. So the name Rumble Pony originated from the carousel. Yeah, it's a fun Snapple fact for people who are not aware. Yeah, it's, it, it, I love telling people that I, that I work for the Rumble Ponies, and then they're like, oh, wow, that's a great name. And then I tell them the origin about it, and they say, wow, I did not know that. Yeah, in case people are not aware of that, that was one of, I think, six choices they had going on for it at the time. I think the, my favorite one that didn't get picked was the Binghamton Stud Muffins. I think I see them start merchandising for that in the store recently. They do wear alternate stud muffin uniforms every once in a while, and they do sell Binghamton Stud Muffin apparel. And, you know, there's just so many great names in minor league baseball. When you, when you look across the country, across all different levels, and both Rumble Ponies and Stud Muffins, are right up there for great names. Yeah, I agree. Let's go to some of the current teams players, guys that you've seen up close. And I have, I've been there. I mean, I saw a game. You've seen a lot more games. So I want to get your take on some of these guys. Let's start with a guy who was the Mets' top prospect entering this year, not named Pete Alonso. It's shortstop Andres Jimenez. What can you tell me about him? You can tell just by watching him that, that he has a natural ability for the game and that he's going to be something special when he does progress up to AAA and then hopefully ultimately up to the the major leagues. Right now he's the the third-ranked prospect in the Mets organization by MLB.com. And on the year he's hitting 247 homers, 31 RBI. But just last night, three for five, two home runs, game-time solo home run, and then the go-ahead RBI single in the eighth inning to help the Ponies snap their season-long seven-game losing streak. And you have to remember, he's only 20 years old, and that's what makes him such a top prospect and and a great player for this organization that he's learning on the spot. He, he would be a junior in college if he went through the college route. So the fact that he is, is hitting so well in the Eastern League and drawing so much attention – gives you an idea of what he's going to be like in the future. Yeah, and just from watching him, his defensive ability is incredible. He can play that shortstop position. He can field balls in the hole. He can field balls that go up the middle and look like, okay, it's going to be a base hit, and then all in one motion, field it, throw over to first, and get the runner by a handful of steps when it looks like it would have been an easy base hit. So, as you said, his his arm and fielding abilities are natural and something that you really can't teach. He just has the look. Yeah, he does have that look. Let's go another offensive player. This is a guy the Mets traded for last year. They sent Jerry Samuel to Oakland. They got back uh, Will Toffey, the third basing. What can you tell me about him? Well, he plays the hot corner, and you know that that is never easy, but he makes it look effortless out there. And he's also a winner. He went to Vanderbilt won a college World Series championship there, and he has that pedigree of being a top-level player at the highest level. Uh, He did it in college, and he's having success in the minor leagues now, riddled by a couple of injuries early in his professional career, 
but now he's really starting to mold back into shape and become the player that the A's originally drafted and that the Mets eyed when they traded for him. Yeah, he's somebody to keep an eye on for sure, especially because they don't really have a long-term option at third. Let's go to another guy who they recently picked up in a deal, catcher Austin Bosar. He was the return to Jason Vargas trade. What have you seen from him in his first couple weeks with Binghamton? Bozart has been a very nice addition to this team. When he was with Redding, the Phillies double-A affiliate, the the Redding fight in Phils, he and they came to Binghamton a couple weeks before the trade deadline, two-game series, and he had three home runs over that two-game series. And that opened a lot of eyes. He only had seven home runs on the season, and three of them came – against Binghamton, in Binghamton. So when the Mets organization acquired him in that trade, it was with a lot of excitement that, hey, this is a guy who really opened eyes when he hit those three home runs. And he's also even a better defensive catcher. And that's really the big plus that the it seemed like they were looking for when they traded for him, that he's the type of guy that, he, that can help develop pitchers and can help bring them to the next level. He's great behind the plate, and he's a very smart player. He went to the University of Pennsylvania in the Ivy League, and even just talking from him, you can tell that he carries himself in a very professional way. Yeah, he's definitely going to be a help to some of the young pitchers down there. Let's look at some of them right now. Let's start with David Peterson, who was the Mets' first-round pick, I think, two years ago. So why can you tell you about David Peterson, what his year's been like down with Binghamton? Peterson right now is the, the second-ranked pitcher in the Mets organization and seventh overall. And on the year, he's 3-6 and six with a 4.50 ERA. But he's shown flashes of brilliance. A couple weeks ago, he went seven solid innings, gave up just two runs at Erie on six hits. And he's a type of guy that you definitely see that he's trending on the way up. So he's going to be an exciting pitcher to see. Yeah, Matt fans will be excited to see him. I think he should end up at AAA next year, so he might be not be in Queens before long. And, and that's what makes it so exciting about working with the Rumble Ponies and getting to see these players every day. You think about just a year or two ago, Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil, they Luis Guillorme, they were all rumble ponies, and now they're performing on the biggest stage with with the New York Mets. And just earlier this year, two rumble ponies from the opening day roster were called up to the major leagues in Steven Nagosik and Chris Mazza. And while they've bounced around between AAA and the, the majors, they have performed on the highest level and have had success, and that opens the door for so many other players. And, hey, these guys were in Binghamton at the beginning of the season, and now they're they're up in the majors. So it it gives them a lot of positivity and hope. Okay, let's go another guy that the Mets picked up in a deal over the last couple of years. Reliever Ryder Ryan was the big return, the Jay Bruce trade to the Indians in 2017. What can you tell me about him? He's a very solid arm coming out of the bullpen. Uh, Whenever he comes into the game, you know he's going to give you a solid outing. Uh, he has a 340 ERA on the season, four holds. So if you give him the lead, he's going to help you get closer 
to closing out the the game. Yeah, that sounds that sounds good. That could definitely use some people like that up there. It, it, it's it's all about the fit and the and the opportunities, and in, in that you you look at this team, you look at the the Triple A Syracuse team. There are about eight or ten guys that are on the Syracuse team right now that were, have been called up from Binghamton at some point this season. So the proximity to both Triple A Syracuse. And even to Queens for Binghamton, it's only three, four-hour drive back down to Queens. Gives so much flu- fluid nature for the organization. Yeah, in case people are not aware, Double A Binghamton, Triple A Syracuse, about an hour away from each other, so that helps a lot. Opposed to last year when they're flying people from Binghamton to Las Vegas and they got promoted. It's it's such a a beneficial aspect to have players or to have the teams so close so that the players, as you said, can shuffle back and forth. And it it really helps the organization in that, hey, we need a pitcher for this one game. All right, we'll call him up. Yeah, it is a lot of help. Let's go to one more guy who I had not heard before I went to see him pitch uh, the other day, and that's Kevin Smith, a left-handed starter. Uh, He impressed me a lot. Do you agree? In just six starts, with Binghamton so far, he has been very impressive. Won three of them so far, and two of those outings, he went six shutout innings and has really shown a lot of development since he came up to Binghamton. He started the year with St. Lucie, went 5-5 five and five with them in 17 games, but in Binghamton now, he has shown some flashes of brilliance, and yeah, there have been a couple setbacks, a couple of learning curve games, but when he's dominant, when he's on, he's really on, and he's going to be a very good pitcher for the Mets organization. Yeah, he was the one I had not heard when I got there. When I watched him pitch, I'm like, wow, this guy is not far away from the majors at all because he's got that interesting like sweeping delivery where he can be very tough on left-handed hitters, and this is a guy where like I could see him like a year or two being like, in the back of the Met rotation. Right, and just just a week ago, he, he went six shutout innings, gave up just two hits, one walk, struck out five against New Hampshire, and in a, in a 2-0 win. So every single one of those shut dominant innings was important in helping Binghamton pick up that victory. And just a week ago, his ERA was under two. That's insane. Ian, thanks for all the time today. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, do you let everybody know how to follow you on social media and some of the stuff you're up to? Yeah, it's um, pretty simple. It's uh, Twitter and Instagram, both of them, at Ian R. Sachs. That's I-A-N-R-S-A-C-K-S. And uh, also follow the, the Binghamton Rumble Ponies uh, uh, across all social media platforms. Uh, our staff does a great job of helping to, mer- to promote the team, and you'll learn a, a lot about the future stars of the New York Mets. All right, Ian, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mike. All right, and there you have it. That was Ian Sachs from the Bang of the Rumble Ponies. Some great stuff on some of the Mets' top prospects there. Up next, this week's two-minute drill, we're going to check in with the latest on the Antonio Brown drama with the Raiders right after this. 
So you're Antonio Brown. You can play with a bucket on your head. It's a helmet. Try it. Get out there. Because Mayock is saying, no, we're done with this. The team is backing him up by retweeting it. And Gruden, I think, will be next. This may come in waves. A few, a few days from now, a week from now, we might hear from Gruden that we need him out here. Because the last guy who said no was Mike Tomlin. And they say, oh, I'm ready for week 17. I'm right. No, you're not playing. We're benching you. You can stand on the sideline and leave at halftime. You can only enable so much and support so much. And say, we got his back. We got his back. We have a game in about 10 minutes. Get out here. We're paying you $30 million. Put your stupid helmet on like every other guy in every other camp, every other superstar. No, get in here. All right. We are back. This is two-minute drill. That voice as heard was a very frustrated Kyle Brandt from Good Morning Football commenting on the latest developments in the Antonio Brown helmet saga, which has become a big national story in part thanks to Hard Knocks, which has been following the events of the series with a lot of focus on AB and the helmet drama. Last night's episode of, of the show, a lot of focus on the, on the helmet stuff. We heard from AB about what he thought about it. We heard from Meg Mayock. We heard from Gruden. We saw little snippets of it. At the end of the episode, he shows up, wears the legal helmet, but this story is far from over. As of last week, he has another grievance pending at the NFL about his right to wear the old shut air advantage helmet, which has since been declared obsolete and unsafe by the league. It's something that the league and the player association are hand-in-hand on, and they don't agree on many things these days. But they agree that the helmets should be safe. And last year, they had a situation set up where if you didn't find a helmet you wanted yet, you could wear your old one for one more year, but you had to have a new one ready for next season. And that's affected some big names. I mean, Tom Brady was somebody who was using the old helmets. Drew Brees was as well. They're not happy about it. They are wearing the right helmets. Antonio Brown has made this a sideshow about himself because he's still arguing for his right to wear whatever helmet he wants. And it's led to some very interesting reactions. First, let's hear from Raiders GM Mike Mayock, who issued a public statement on Sunday about the AB helmet situation. AB is not here today, right? So here's the bottom line. He's upset about the helmet issue. Uh, We have supported that. We appreciate that. Okay, but we've at this point, we've pretty much exhausted all avenues of relief. So from our perspective, it's time for him to be all in or all out. Okay, so we're hoping he's back soon. We got 89 guys busting their tails. We are really excited about where this franchise is going. And we hope AB is going to be a big part of it starting week one against Denver. End of story. No question. Those are some big, big words from Mike Mayock. First of all, going all in or all out. This is two weeks before the season starts. He's calling out Antonio Brown saying, you know what? Be a part of this team. It's not about you. You have to be committed to us, and that means wearing a helmet. That's number one. And number two, he calls out the fact that there are 89 guys Busting their tails to get ready for the season. And as most people know, NFL preseason rosters have 90 players. So who is the one guy he singled out saying he's not busting his tail for his team? Oh yeah, that would be Antonio Brown. Brown's agent, Drew Rosenhaus, also weighed in on the helmet situation. Here's what he had to say. 
We've worked very closely with the Raiders, yeah. and we will continue to work very closely with the Raiders. I'm not sure that we agree that we've exhausted all the options, as Mike Mayock said, uh, but there's no doubt it's still an ongoing process. We are trying to work with the team and the league and the union to come up with a solution we haven't figured it out yet. To say that AB is upset about the decision to not let him wear his helmet is accurate, but we're still processing it and figuring it out. I wouldn't make too much about him not being there today as much as we're still trying to come up with the solution. In other words, Drew Rosenhaus just said a whole lot of nothing. He basically said, yeah, he's not happy. Don't read the fact he's not here. That's not important. We're still working on the helmet situation. And it's funny because during the episode last night on Hard Knocks, we see Drew Rosenhaus talking to John Gruden. And he, he says, you know, maybe he's not handling it the right way, but we're going to work on this helmet thing and get it figured out. And we saw yesterday Antonio Brown did show up to practice. He did catch some passes with a league-approved helmet on. And we saw at the end of the episode last night as well where they saw him catching passes from the jugs machine wearing the approved helmet. I just want to know one thing. What happened to Antonio Brown that he went from the best receiver on the planet to a complete diva who won't play unless he gets the exact helmet he wants? And funny story for the Jet fans in the room here, being which is me specifically. Remember back in the AFC Championship game in 2010, who caught the pass to ice that game? That was a rookie named Antonio Brown. If you would have told me back in 2010 that that guy who caught that pass to kill the Jets would become the best receiver in football, I would not have believed it. But he did. He worked very hard. He became the best receiver in the league. But somewhere along the way, it became more about his brand than about his football playing. Last year, we heard about all the issues in Pittsburgh. Uh, he's late for practice. Mike Tomlin benches him in Week 17. They He forces his way out of Pittsburgh. The Raiders happily take him from the Steelers. And he's more invested right now in the brand of AB than football. I mean, on the web, it was the Dancing with the Stars appearance, the Madden cover, fashion, you name it. He seems to be more invested in AB than Antonio Brown, the football player. I'm glad the Jets stayed away from him because there were rumors in the offseason they would make a run at him. They did not. I'm very happy about that because the last thing that a young quarterback needs is this kind of sideshow going on around you. And it's funny because if you ask even two years ago, I don't think there was a more popular receiver in football than Antonio Brown because he was not doing the things like the Odell Beckhams do, the, the uh, T.O.'s did, that whole crew. Somewhere along the way, the fame got to his head. He went from Antonio Brown, the guy who has 100 passes a year, catches over 1,500 yards a year, 10 touchdowns, does his job professionally, to AB. And AB is no different than any other diva this game has seen today. And the helmet thing is still ongoing. He's there right now. Who knows how long he's going to be there? The grievance is still ongoing. How do you know if he loses the grievance, which he probably will, by the way? How do you know he's not going to you know? go pouting again saying, you know, I don't want to play here. I want my helmet. This is something that's going to be a big distraction for the Raiders. It's going to kill that team. And it's stunning that we ended up here with Antonio Brown. It really is. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. 
I want to thank my guest Ian Sachs for calling in to talk about the Binghamton Rumble Ponies prospects. That was a lot of fun, a lot of great insight there. If you want more stuff like this podcast, including my look at what a combined Mets-Yankees entry into the postseason would look like and who would make the cut, who wouldn't, and whether that team could win the World Series, check out the blog over at justsendthesuffering.wordpress.com. Feel free to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. You can search for Just End the Suffering there, and you will find all of the old episodes of this podcast as well. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings out in order to help make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me with hashtag MetsTwitter if you made it to this week's episode. This is our first episode of the week. Later on this week, we'll have a special U.S. Open preview with Veronica Bruno, a fan side who's been on the podcast a couple of times before to talk tennis. Also give you my thoughts on the disaster debacle situation of Spider-Man being pulled from the MCU over rights issues again and money. I think it's a big mess. I'll get my thoughts on that as well. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Avery Williamson. Meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. Bring your kiddies, bring your wife. Guaranteed to have the time of your life. Because the Mets are really something to fall.